I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. Another beautiful episode. My guest for today is Emma Moody, and she is a recovery coach who helps people navigate through their own unique path in life. It is really wonderful. Let's just jump right in. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. I am sitting here across from this incredible soul. Her name is Emma Moody. Emma, welcome to the show. Erin, thank you so much for having me. I'm just so excited and grateful to be here today. I'm so honored that you're here. I'm honored to hear your story and what you're doing right now. So Emma, can you tell the listeners a little bit about what you do? And we'll just start with that and then I'll get into some questions. Yeah, of course. That sounds great. So I am a actor an entrepreneur. I focus on eating disorders and body image coaching centered a little bit more around the spiritual and energetic aspects of the process. And I'm an avid pasta lover. And I think that kind of summarizes me. I I think it all sounds fantastic. <laughs> so Emma, let's let's just talk for a little bit, just a little bit about what got you into doing this how long you've been recovered for, things like that. What made you decide to go into recovery coach work? Let's start there. Absolutely. So this journey kind of started for me when I, I'm 29. Um, when I was 21 years old, I lost my father to suicide. And my dad was probably one of the biggest advocates in my recovery journey. And I recognized after he passed that I could kind of walk down one of two paths. I could stay stuck in a cycle of limitation and self-hatred, or I could allow myself to kind of evolve and be curious about healing. So over the course of the last eight years, I kind of started my own immersion into recovery and figuring out what was working, what wasn't working, and having all of these moments of self-discovery, which eventually led me to in um, 2020, when the pandemic hit, I lost my nine to five. I was really struggling with just grasping a sense of purpose. And I ended up applying for the Eating Disorder Foundation of Denver, their mentorship program, which was essentially where someone who has been through the recovery process and is recovered could help coach and guide these people who needed that support. So I've been, I would consider myself fully recovered for about four years now. And after I did that program, 
something in me just lit up. There was this fire that was just born out of this experience. And I thought, this is what part of what I meant to do is this part of why I'm on this earth right now is to be of service in this way. So the rest is kind of history. And when I started my coaching program and my coaching business, I saw a need for certain aspects of the recovery and the healing process that weren't really normalized in the treatment space. Um, so I kind of just wanted to go into this process with every intention of like changing the game in some small way. And I've been doing my business now for about a year. It's been incredible. And I am just so excited to be doing what I do. Do you mind me asking some examples of some of the things that you said you felt needed changing or needed a little more openness? If, if that's the right yeah. word. Tell me some of the things that you noticed and and how you're implementing it. Because I know I do provide therapy services from a part of it, part of it, obviously it's from evidence-based treatment and certain theoretical models and whatnot, but also what I, from what I know I was spiritually missing in myself when I was struggling with the eating disorder. So are there any examples you can use? Wow. That's such a good question. Yeah. So I think obviously addressing the the medical aspects, the logistical aspects, weight, body image behaviors, food restrictions, limitations, all these things are so paramount. And at the same time, what I noticed through my own struggle and the missing piece was this sense of self-identity and remembering my voice, remembering what it felt like to exist as a person and not an illness. Because I think with eating disorders, our, our lives become so entangled with our suffering. And for people who struggle with these issues, I think there is this like gaping, aching rawness when it comes to the wounds that these cause, not just in the physical, but just inside. And I think people struggle to express that or even feel connected to it. So for me, I started exploring what's interesting is I always used to write off spirituality as, you know, like woo woo or out there. And I used to think that that was strange, but now I'm like, yes, let's be out there. Let's be different. Let's not run away from these things that are actually really valuable. So for me, a lot of what I kind of explored in my own recovery and what I implement in my coaching are practices like, cathartic journaling, meditation, breath work, self-identity, self-care. Um, another thing that I really connect to personally is acting and art. And I think art and healing are the exact same thing. They're the exact same thing. They just present themselves differently. So being able to kind of take the more human elements of the healing process and that deep inner work, in addition to collaborating with a client's therapist or dietitian for the more foundational behaviors and their expertise, that is kind of what I really like to dive. That's like the juicy, delicious, awesome things that I like to dive into. So it's it's been amazing. 
Yeah. It's about going inside and healing the inner self, right? And and that's why, and, and again, I always say this, this is from my perspective, a, a, a program that only works on the behaviors, a strictly behavioral model is not going to heal somebody because then they're going to go back out into the world with the same internal suffering and they they don't understand them. So they get hit by the same stressors and stimulus and things like that. And they all they know is I, if I take this Band-Aid off, I can go back into my eating disorder and feel better. Like, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So let me let me ask you a question. And I actually, I asked you this before we started recording, but it's so beautiful. I want listeners to hear. Can you explain the meaning of your, your business, which is called Sonder Self Recovery? Tell listeners what that's about. Yeah, absolutely. So the word Sonder kind of represents this idea that Every single person we stumble across in our lives has a unique perspective, point of view, life story. And I thought that was so beautiful because it's a feeling that we sense. And at the same time, I really wanted to bring that concept back to the self, back to ourselves of this idea that our story is also unique our perspective and our life path and the way that we move in the world has value. And so I think we get caught up in the external world that we forget the power of recognizing our own power. So I think for me, that was what I really wanted to center my name around in my business and just my coaching practice was people who have been so disconnected from their story to kind of find themselves in a way. Also, that every story, regardless of how complicated it has been, whatever trauma has been involved in it, it still deserves being told and celebrated. Survival, being a survivor of something, you need to be celebrated. And by the way, there's many more things that need to be done, but, you know, Hiding our story is just, again, hiding ourself, you know, using eating disorder behaviors to numb and and sort of block from the rest of the world. We are our story. And to pretend we're something different doesn't work. Enter eating disorder, right? Yes. Yes. That was so beautiful what you said. So true. So true. What what is it like for you? Do you find that it's challenging that as a recovered person, and I ask this because I've been recovered for 25 years. I have a lot of distance from it. You've been recovered for four years. Does it get triggering for you? And if so, how do you walk through that? Talk yourself through that. Like, say a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I... I wouldn't say that I experience an actual trigger as much as I kind of share in the emotion that my client is going through and holding space for their pain. I think the challenging thing is bearing witness to their experience and and being that support and being that guide and also creating boundaries within myself that I can carry this for them 
and be with them, but I don't have to hold it. I can let go once I'm done with the session. I can give them the power to kind of move through their pain themselves. So I don't really experience triggers anymore as much as it is just kind of this um, this ache sometimes that I can feel. And at the same time, I also experience that when a client is discovering some joy or some kind of light bulb moment, I share in that with them. So I think anytime you're someone who's working in the mental health space, having the empathy and the capacity to hold space while also not absorbing, having that that healthy barrier is so important. And I'm still learning that myself um, because it's very easy to get caught up in like rescue mode but it's all about coming back to the client and trusting and knowing that you can help them find the strength within themselves. So that's more of what I experience. You know, it's interesting because I've had clients ask me in the past, like, do you get triggered? Like when you're running groups or whatnot. And the way I explain it is I don't get triggered about my eating disorder, but I am human. And if you bring up something that is a human experience I've had, I feel it in my heart. Mm -hmm. That's the difference though. It doesn't go to an eating disorder thought. It pulls up a memory that I haven't had in a while. And you're right. Even the joyful ones, but every once in a while, somebody will, will talk about something that I've gone through and, and I can, it almost takes my breath away for a minute, but Again, I feel like that's being human. That's being open. I feel, therefore, these things. I they some I internalize them sometimes, but I don't. I I don't do anything that other. I just I know they're there. I know it's there, right? Yes, and I think clients, people that you work with, appreciate you embracing your humanness. They don't want to work with someone who has gone on this journey in a sense of perfectness recovery is messy. It's windy. It's complicated. So I think human to human being able to know that the person that you're talking with is going to resonate with what you're going through and they're going to be moved by it. I think that that empowers them even more to feel safe with you, which is such an important part of this process because it's invaluable. And I think you described that so beautifully of just, it shows that you're human. And that's what we need in the mental health space. So, so desperately is this sense of connectedness and human experience. So I think what you said was so, so spot on. What do you think if you reflect back, and this is sort of an odd question because I don't want to be like, what was the most challenging thing? Because I know from my own experience, everything felt challenging in different varying degrees, right? You know, when we talk about the messiness, it is because life can be messy. What, what, what was so, what was, what did you find really challenging to work through? And I ask this because I know so many times people are listening and they're thinking, yeah, Emma can recover. Karen can recover. You know, there's, there's wasn't as, traumatic or it wasn't as, you know, they don't have such bad low self-esteem. Like, and that's not true. That's not true. So we all had to go through our, our, you know, for me, it was, it was 
really working on my sense of self and my self-esteem. So say what was so difficult for you. Yeah. Wow. I think the hardest part was actually believing and trusting that I was not put on this earth to suffer, that I had a deeper purpose than sitting in my pain. And that wasn't all I was good for. I think that's one of the last things I had to let go of in the recovery process beside shifting my behaviors and, you know, embracing and accepting my body as a vessel, not as my value, all these different like steps that you have to take. But I think trusting that it was okay to let go of my pain and to move through it instead of grasping onto it and believing that I was worthy of freedom, that I was worthy of a happy life. And then once you overcome that notion and you kind of open yourself up to life, that's where recovery really becomes beautiful. But that single-handedly was the hardest thing for me was actually believing that I deserved to recover. And I think for a lot of people, that's what holds them back is this notion that I can't do it. I shouldn't do it. I'm not allowed to do it. And you can. There are a lot of steps that lead up to that acknowledgement, but I wasn't put here to suffer. I'm wondering if you can also share with listeners about the recovery journal that you've put together that, that, and, and I'm, and did I say it correctly? Recovery journal? Yeah. You know, and I'm wondering if these were things I often ask people, are these the things that you felt were missing from your recovery? Like you needed some of these prompts, these meditations or whatnot. So is that what it was born out of? And tell the listeners a little bit about it because it's wonderful. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. It really was just a combination of exploring my own spiritual path, but also things that I had been taught by past therapists or spiritual teachers that I had worked with and kind of turning into my own intuitive guidance and these questions that I had asked myself that really were missing. The the journals are kind of an, I have a couple at the moment. They're kind of just an exploration of the healing process and these little bits and pieces that aren't really, in my opinion, aren't integrated in the mental health space especially when it comes to eating disorders and body image. So for example, one of the things that I focus on in the embodiment journal, which is centered around our relationship to our body, um, is the concept of, it's not about loving your body, because I think for people who struggle with eating disorders and body image, that can be an unrealistic standard to hold themselves up to. It's about making peace with it which is such a different feeling. So for me, I'll have things in there like a body gratitude checklist of coming back to the gratitude of mobility or presence or speaking or hugging or all these things that can kind of be lost. And um, also just a deeper dive into what behaviors and self-perceptions are representing because One of the things is also around eating disorders and restriction, specifically this concept of fearing taking up physical space. 
And the journal kind of explores how other areas of your life, there's fear of taking up space, emotional, vocal. So for me, it's just, it's a lot of what we already know in the eating disorder field, which is so valuable. And we have all these amazing people who have kind of paved the way. Now for me, it was just kind of taking it a step further and giving people the opportunity to explore things that they may never have had access to before. So, and journaling can just be, again, it also comes back to the artistic piece. I think it gives people a safe space to be vulnerable and intimate with their experience, and it can actually be kind of fun. Let me ask you about the artistic space, because you did say earlier that you are, along with being a recovery coach and an artist, that you're in acting. Did I did I hear that correctly? Yeah. So what is it like trying to be in acting when there is such a stereotype of what somebody is, quote unquote, supposed to look like? And how do you navigate through that? Such a great question. Yeah, I mean, the industry, unfortunately, is so centered around the physical body and these standards that, you know, we have to live up to or perceived to live up to. I think for me, it's stepping into my body when I'm acting. To me, acting and coaching are so similar in the fact that, like, when you're on stage or you're on a film, you're you have to be completely open. You have to be vulnerable and present and almost like naked in a way. You are sharing your soul with other people and coaching is very similar. So in the entertainment space, I think it's recognizing, first of all, that your body is just like the vessel that holds everything. It's not representative of your truth or your value. And it's also separating these ridiculous standards that are imposed upon particularly women. I think there's a lot of pressure for women to look a certain way, and that has shifted throughout decade to decade. But I think it's being able to recognize why you do what you do, and that acting itself and performing for me is like soul expression. It's not real. It has nothing to do with my body. I can use my body as a tool when embodying a character, but it is not everything. And so I think for anyone who is an artist or an athlete or an engineer, like no matter what your passion is, it's being able to have respect for your body and also separate it from everything else that goes into who you are and what you do. Um, Because a lot of these standards are centered around limitation and questioning ourselves. So when you realize that these standards are literally created to cause you to not trust in who you are, then you can kind of move through that and push those things to the side and bring your focus back to, you know, what really matters. It also sounds like there's parts of acting that are so healing. And and by the way, you're saying things like, you know, 
the, the the vulnerability like it it sounds like there's there's something about it that feels almost somewhat freeing and i don't mean to put words into your mouth but say a little bit about that because that's also the opposite of being in an eating disorder when no matter whether our eating disorder is anorexia bulimia binge eating disorder you know arfit it doesn't matter what it is when someone is in an eating disorder they are a prisoner in their body and their mind Yes. They are consumed in their body and their mind. And so say a little bit about what it's like to feel the opposite and, and the freedom and the, and the acting and things like that. Or am I making a bigger deal? No, no, not at all. You put it into words. You really did something that I've been carrying with how to express that. You just said it. So that was amazing. Thank you. I think, yeah, it's just when you're acting, you have nothing to hide you have nothing to hide behind. You have to allow yourself to be fully present and just flow and exist. And I think eating disorders are all about tucking away these pieces of ourselves that actually make us who we are. So there's a lot of betrayal that comes from an eating disorder. And it's in a way, it's trying to protect you, which I think is something that needs to be discussed in the space of, of treatment, is that this, this is an extension of you. It's not something separate. It's not, you know, this exterior force. It's a part of you that is trying to help you heal. And at the same time, it's helping you abandon. And I think acting and creation can be a really beautiful space or any art form for anybody can be a really beautiful space to kind of come back home. It's it's that soul retrieval aspect because recovery, I don't know if this was your experience as well, but recovery was never about becoming anything else or changing who I was. It was remembering who I was. That's interesting. For me, it actually was about changing who I was. I had a lot of self-judgment, a lot of self-criticism. Mm. And it wasn't until I moved through the process and became recovered that I realized that I was perfect all along and I didn't have to change anything. And then I started focusing on all these things, parts of who I am that I thought needed to be quote unquote changed. And you know what? They didn't. It's who I am. It's again, it's going back to your story. I can't change who I am. I can embrace it though. I can accept it. I can utilize it as my my superpower, shall we say? And and so that that was my experience. Mine was I couldn't get far enough away from myself. Oh, I love that. I haven't thought about that in a long time. That's very interesting. I wanted change gears a little bit because I want to talk about your coaching. Like I, not everybody knows what recovery coaches do. So can you share a little bit about what is this? What is a day like? Like, what are your sessions like? I mean, are, are they all about food? Are they about helping people clean out their closets? Or like, tell me a little bit about what you do. Yeah, of course. So working with a recovery coach, you get the benefit of kind of speaking with someone who has been through similar struggles, maybe not in the exact same circumstances, but there's a sense of relating to that person. I'm very grateful to have the ability for virtual coaching because it gives me access to anyone around the world, which is such a gift. For me, we do, everything you mentioned is kind of what we focus on in the session. A lot of it is 
obviously centered around addressing behaviors, addressing meal plans, addressing perspectives, and taking actual steps and tools to help move through these things and work through them. And it's also about kind of holding space for what the client needs at that time. Perhaps, you know, they're struggling with relationship issues that are interconnected with their food. Maybe it's being mirrored back to them through their eating disorder. So for me, obviously there are certain things that are better placed with a therapist or a dietitian because that's their field and that's their expertise. And I want to be mindful of that as a coach. So I am really lucky to also be able to collaborate with that part of a client's team, which is super important. But for me, I think it's just my coaching is more of a fluid space for clients to come and express and be held with whatever is going on for them. And I like to implement, again, you know, some some creative journal prompts, some self-care activities, meal logs. Um, so kind of a balance between the logistical aspects of eating disorder recovery in alignment with the artistic and spiritual elements as well. And balancing those two things is uh, kind of what I center my coaching around. Yeah. I also feel just the connection being seen, that is so important for all of us, especially when you're struggling and especially when you're struggling with behaviors, to have somebody there with you to sort of talk you through it because not everybody has accessibility to treatment. Not everybody has accessibility to, to a lot of things. And so I think that the coaching and, and I agree, I love, I love working with recovery coaches. I have recovery coaches that work for me at my center and where it's, it's an, a, a, a really important part of the team. You're like the eyes and ears of what I, I get 50 minutes in a session and I'm not seeing them, you know, during a, a period where they're most anxious, which is around food. Again, regardless of whether it's anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, there's anxiety around the meals. I don't get that. Yeah. So I get the reflection or how do we move through the the present, the forward, you know, the future, but you get the the actual, you see where it, where it's, you know, where it lands in their body and you can say, what, what happened there? Your, your face just changed. Yes. That's why I love doing treatment team meetings and having the recovery coach there. Yeah. That's so beautiful. And you also get the benefit as a coach of being able to offer in the moment support. And that was something that was really instilled with me through the Carolyn Costume Institute was having that in the moment present ability to connect and communicate with someone. So a client could text me or call me if they're struggling with a meal, if they have an intrusive thought or behavior, I get the ability to sit with them and help navigate that. And that is such a unique aspect of coaching. And then I can relay that experience back to their team. And we can all kind of just come together and navigate. So it's it's amazing. And the accessibility piece that you mentioned, which is still an issue in the mental health space of making sure that there's no discrimination or a limitation with the people that need help should have the ability to access it. So, and eating disorders don't discriminate either. So anyone can struggle with this. 
um, whether you're diagnosed or not, whether you're, you know, fit into a certain category or not, it's a human issue. So being able to have the ability to provide that universal support is so great. Emma, I, I just, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you for coming on the show. And I am so sad to say that we're starting to wind down. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you wanted to share with listeners? Anything you wanted to say before we closed up? I think you asked me such beautiful questions and I, I can't think of anything at the moment. I just am so grateful to be in this space with you and to be a part of a community that is so passionate about education and advocacy, which is what we need because there are people who need us. We need each other. And I think I would just say maybe to anyone who is struggling with this, that first of all, you're not alone. And that if you are questioning whether you deserve freedom, life, peace, you do. You inherently, fully, truly do. And there are ways to get that. So I just want to thank you so much for, for having me. This was such a gift and privilege. Emma, it was an absolute joy having you on the show. So thank you for being here. Thank you. All right, everyone. That does it for another episode of Recovery Bites. I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast signup to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.